We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? what you know and it's about a time when you get yourself in a I want to know something she needs. I think about everyone you need. I hold in it. Things are moving real now. I have you seen you wanting you. Hey. It's a ratio. Okay, though. It's a ratio. Okay, though. That might be the best question I've ever been asked. <laughs> You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. My department was called picking. So they called us pickers. Where you go get the stuff that people when order. It comes to you on this robot-like shelf, book-like shelf. And um, just to be called a picker, I, I never really sat well with me. You know, that... You know, I had a manager one day come up to me and was like, oh, you got to whip your pickers back in shape. And I looked at him like, did you just say that to me? Like, I'll punch you in your face. But, you know, that's what we had to put up with. You know, that type of mentality and culture there. And, um, you know, that that all ties into, uh, you know, what I call is the new day slavery. That's what Amazon is. Christian Smalls is the leader of the Amazon labor union who is trying to change the lives and the working conditions for the Amazon workers. He's got one warehouse that is totally unionized, but there's another 114 to go. It is a long battle, but it is a revolutionary battle to try to use the power of unionization to change the lives of working class people and we support his movement, and we want to talk about what he's doing. So let's get into it. It's my man Christian Smalls on Torre Show. What are some of the experiences you had at Amazon that made you say, yo, this shit in here is fucked up? Oh, well, just my, my own personal um, experience, you know, I've been a supervisor for four and a half years, and um, you know, I applied to be a manager over fifty times, never got it. Only interviewed twice in five years, and um, just seeing the system of the hiring and firing over the years, black and brown workers come and go, mistreatment, good working people lose their job for little tedious things. I just couldn't stand with it. And that was 
pre-pandemic, you know, that was before all of that. I mean, a lot of us have heard the working environment in the warehouse in particular is very regimented, sweatshop-ish. You got to be, you know, working every second. You got to move a certain number of steps. You got to handle your task in a certain number of seconds. You can't take bathroom breaks. If you're not moving for five seconds, then they're going to notice that and ding you. And these. And I'm like, yo, that sounds crazy. Like, talk about some of that. Yeah. I was um, a part of that machine. You know, I was a supervisor. I had to track people. I was, that was my responsibility. And, um, you know, I obviously didn't go with that. I was always the one that went against the grain. That's why they probably never promoted me up because they knew that becoming um, coming up from entry level, that I took care of the entry level workers as best as I could in my power. I didn't have that much power, um, but I was a part of that machine that was tracking and labor tracking and um I did the best I could to protect everybody on my team in my area, making sure that, you know, if, at the end of the day, um, if there was some time not counted for from whatever worker, for whatever reason, you know, I made sure that it was covered. You know? But what was it, what is it supposed to be? Like, like, tell us, like, what it's like to be an Amazon worker so we understand yeah. what they're dealing with. So these buildings are 900 to a million some even over a million square feet, the size of 14 NFL football fields. Um, I could just tell you I live in New Jersey, commuting to Staten Island, JFK 8, where that building that we just unionized is located. Um, that's two and a half, three hours each way. Okay. And that's before you work your 10 to 12-hour shift, depending on if you're uh, you know full-time or reduced time. Um, I work both shifts. I work 10 hours. Um, when the building first opened up in 2018, I worked 12 hours. Um, so I, you're commuting two and a half hours, three hours each way. You're working 10 to 12 hours. I used to tell my new hires, if you have a gym membership, to cancel it because you're going to be doing calisthenics and you're going to be walking the state of Rhode Island, which is 30 to 60 miles a day, a shift. You know, I will walk that because in that building, I'm doing nothing but laps Laps, 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 just trying to engage, but, you know, hundreds of workers at their stations um, for 10 to 12 hours. And they're bending, they're pulling, they're reaching, they're stretching, they're grabbing items all day long. It's and repetitive. you got seconds, you got a clock that's following you, you got to finish your task in a certain number of seconds. They have hourly rates, yeah, but every department is hourly rates. You know, there's some that don't have hourly rates, but they have a quota to meet. And um, that was my job to oversee that and, and to track that as well, to make sure our numbers were always up to par. You know, Amazon is ran completely off of numbers and metrics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is it true that they kind of fire people like every few months so you don't get to that level of wanting or deserving benefits? They fire people every week. It's like 3% a week. For no reason. For little things, you know, it could be for productivity, it could be for quality, it could be for, you know, you went negative in your unpaid time. Um, you know, it could just be for, you know, not having enough time, emergency something happened, and you don't have time to cover. Um, they, they get rid of you just by text or email. Um, 
Yeah, it could be any little reason. It's an at-will company, and we all know that they can make up any reason. Is it is it inhumane, the, the conditions in the warehouses? I would say so, yeah, because, um, you know, there's a lot of people that don't get accommodated for, you know, and that's that that's what making makes the working conditions inhumane. When you got people that's working, thousands of people working in the warehouse, and you can't accommodate people. What do you, you mean by that, accommodate people? Well, a lot of people, like there's women um, that that uh, are pregnant, you know, they have to stand on their feet. And um, Amazon doesn't accommodate the women all the time. They There's been a lot of miscarriages. There's been, um, you know, people that have been injured over and over, and they don't have a real medical team on site. So they have a, what you call like a nurse's office, Amcare. It's like a nurse's office. You go there, you get a pack of ice. They let you sit for 20 minutes, then they're like, oh, go back to the floor. So it's like there's no real um, accountability for that. And, you know, just the fact that these, you know, they work 10 to 12 hours. They, you only get a 30-minute lunch and a 30-minute break, you know, two breaks a day. You 30 don't, minutes, 30 minutes on a 10 to 12-hour shift. Right. And it's like, you know, for somebody that's doing that every day, um, it can feel like solitary confinement. You know, you're... You, you go to work at sunrise, you come out, sunset, there's no windows in the building, you know, it's, it gives you that real prison-like feel. You know, if you work in any station, you're in a cubicle or a box-like area station, and um, you're not moving. You know, you're in there doing the same repetitive job for an hourly rate. And my department was called picking, so they called us pickers. Where you go get the stuff that people when order. It comes to you on this robot-like shelf, book-like shelf. And um, just to be called a picker, I, I never really sat well with me. You know, that, you know, I had a manager one day come up to me and was like, oh, you got to whip your pickers back in shape. And I looked at him like, did you just say that to me? Like, I'll punch you in your face. But, you know, that's what we had to put up with. You know, that type of mentality and culture there. And, um, you know, that that all ties into, uh, you know, what I call is the new day slavery. That's what Amazon is. And what are you getting an hour for this? Um, depending on where you live, cost of living and region, whatever, and country. Here in New York, uh, they start off 18 and up. Um, New Jersey, I believe, is like 17 and up. And, um, you know, but the cost of living is just not sustainable. I was capped out. They cap you out, which is another. What does that mean? Meaning that after three and a half years, you don't get no more raises. So you're talking about the richest company in the world, one of them, and you're capped out after three and a half years from entry level um, hourly. And I was capped out at $25, you know. I've been there over four and a half years in the same position. So I was the highest paid supervisor there at the time. And it still wasn't enough. I had a second job, and I still was just making, barely making ends meet. Wow. Was there an incident that made you say, you know, fuck this. We need to do something. Yeah. It was it was definitely the pandemic, you know. Um, I wasn't trying to unionize or organize a union at the time. It was just a life or death situation, working without PPE, working around my coworkers and colleagues that were getting sick every day in a domino effect. Um, I, I had to take further action. And after trying to go through the proper channels, 
trying to work with HR, upper management in the building. Um, they decide to use a quarantine policy that nobody's seen on me to stop me from organizing the workers. Um, so we put together a walkout, and um, we walked out on March 30th, 2020. I was fired two hours after that walkout. Um, and, uh, yeah, a week after that, uh, Jeff Bezos and his general counsel had a meeting about me calling me not smart or articulate to ironically make me the face of the whole unionizing efforts. So when that memo and conversation came out, um, it just continued to motivate me to advocate for workers' rights. So I spent a year doing that, traveling the country, protesting in front of his house. Have you um, ever spoken to him? To Jeff? Yeah. Uh, no, indirectly. But um, Would you like to? Or is it it's bigger than that? I don't think he would want to talk to me. You know, I, I don't really care. You know, there's nothing that, you know, we don't, we're not the same. We're cut from two different claws. Of course. Um, I don't think that he want to have a conversation with me, uh, honestly, to be truthful about it. I think that he wouldn't even want to sit down with me. But if I had to talk to him, you know, I'm going to tell him how it is. And um, everybody knows that, you know, I'm going to always keep it real. And um, I don't know if he's able to, Accept that, and I don't think any billionaire would. Do you think that he and upper management are aware of the inhumane conditions at the warehouse level? Like they know it and they don't care, or they don't really know it because they're so bubbleized? It's a combination of both. Um, I don't think Jeff Bezos stepped into a warehouse until we called him out in 2020. He had a little fake propaganda, him walking around some empty warehouse for the first time that i ever seen in 28 years. So, like, there is a disconnect. There's a huge disconnect from corporate, from upper management to the, the warehouse entry-level workers. Um, and this is also the culture that they created. Amazon has a culture and a system that works for Amazon. It doesn't work for the workers. It doesn't work for the people. It works for the company and the business needs. Everything is business needs, you know, and that's what they tell us. You know, when um, um, the pandemic started and I say, you know, we need to um, close down the warehouse because somebody in here is positive. And this was when New York was the Epic Center. They told me, oh, we got to keep business as usual. And it's like business as usual. People are dying in New York City every 15 minutes. What is business as usual? We're not no doctors and nurses, and that's what they try to compare us to, calling us essential workers. We're the closest thing to the Red Cross because we're keeping, you know, we're delivering packages of essential goods when really we weren't. You know, people were ordering sex toys and clothing items, cosmetics, lipsticks. It, we weren't delivering. Some of it was essential, but a lot of it was fun and just right. get me out of going to the, I don't want to go to the store because it's dangerous. So you go to the store for me. Pretty much. And that's that's the message that we originally had was we're the ones in your community, not Jeff Bezos and the corporate and the techs. They're all home getting paid. Salary workers, they're paid for months and they were paid um, for over a year home. Meanwhile, we're the ones in the warehouses dying, suffering, getting sick, unprotected. And, and that's what, you know, we were advocating for is. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door 
thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. So you start to push for a union. I'm curious to hear about what you did to educate the workers, to start to build the, a union, and what Amazon was doing to try to counter your efforts. Right. Yeah, so after a year of, of traveling, we came back home after visiting Alabama. Bessemer, Alabama had their campaign going. Um, and we went down there. We saw some things that we said uh, we can learn from. And we decided to come back here, you know, and start our own union at the same building where I was fired, uh, Staten Island JFK. And, um, yeah, we had to spend uh, a large portion of our campaign educating workers on what a union is. You know, we can't just pop up and say, yeah, join us. And because I mean, the- I mean in, in in at this stage in history, the right wing has so demonized the notion of a union. 
any kind of union, school teachers, nurses, mm-hmm. union is a bad word if you ever watch Fox News. Yeah. So you got to educate people on just the notion of like unions are here to help working class people have an even playing field. Cause if all working class people are individuals, you have no chance against Nothing. power. Exactly. But if you're, if you're together, then you can have a fair, you can get a fair deal from the top, from, from power. Right. Exactly. Yeah. We, um, we had to go through that phase, you know, educating on what a union is. And what did you tell folks what a union is? Well, we gave them examples. Um, we gave them a lot of literature on, you know, how we got to the 40-hour work week. How did we get to eight-hour work days? Five-day work week. Right. You know, we, we gave them the basics of that. And then we, we incorporated our own culture with the Amazon Labor Union. You know, the ALU wanted to bring to Amazon. This union is specifically for Amazon workers. We're putting you in the driver's seat. And we're allowing workers to run this union. This is not no established union like the Teamsters or uh, the teachers union that's been around for, you know, decades. So um, this is something um, that is really unprecedented, but it's necessary for the times that we're in. We're talking about the 21st century a uh, corporation that, once again, been hiring and firing and exploiting workers for 28 years. Um, we have a chance of a lifetime to form something that will provide the job security and the benefits that we need. It's tricky to form a union when the folks you're talking to have only been there for a few months and only expect to be there for a few months, right? When you're talking about, you know, I work at Ford, this is my life. This is my father's life. This is my grandfather's life. Yeah, we can. Yeah, let's have a union because this is what I do. I'm being here for years and years and I've been here. But Amazon folks expect short term. So then it's kind of like, damn, you want me to pay to be part of the union, but I'm not going to even experience whatever it is that you will get out of. But a good thing about it is that um, you don't pay union dues until you get a contract. So even though we won the election and we are officially, you know, representing the workers. Um, they don't pay anything until, once again, we're certified on paper by the government and recognized by the company, and we have a contract negotiated. So they don't have to worry about the dues. What they do have to worry about is, and what we have to worry about, is the company still continuing to hire and fire. So that's where we're at right now. We've won our election. Um Nobody from the union gets paid, including myself as an interim president. Nobody pays union dues. None of the members, none of the 8,300 members that we represent um, pay anything. But you have 8,300 members. So it's more than more, more than the one shop in Staten Island. No, it's just the one building. That one building has 8,300 people. Yeah. And your expectation is that you can get most of the... People around the country, Amazon oh. workers that are around the country to be down? Yeah. I mean, every building since we won our election has reached out to us. And um, that is our plan is to scale nationwide and possibly internationally as well because other facilities overseas, South Africa, India, uh, Canada, uh, they they reached out, Australia, um, they're paying attention as well. Wait, how? Why haven't you already 
had other warehouses come into your movement? Like I know you say you say they want to, but how come they're not already in? Well, this is a real grassroots movement. We ain't have, you know, we started with nothing, no no money. We don't even have office space. We were working out of an apartment. I was working out of a car, you know, a truck in front of a bus stop. So we're in that phase. We're grassroots where we don't have the resources to help everybody until we get our established um, establishment up and running here. So um, now that we are getting the resources, slowly but surely we're getting them, we're now able to help other campaigns launch. And before we uh, just jump right into the fire, we got we to gotta educate them. Like this, It's going to be a different battle in every building. Every building in the country has an opportunity to, to go about whichever way they choose. We want to make sure that we're setting them up for success, not just telling them to go unionize because Amazon will crush them. They spent $4.3 million trying to stop us, and they still continue to spend thousands of dollars and millions of dollars a week. Um, we want to make sure that whoever is next up is ready to take on that, and we can assist them as well. We don't want them to just go out there. What did they do, Amazon, to try to stop unionization? We talk about the $4.5 million. Oh, yeah. Um, well, for one, they put the workers in captive audiences every single day. Every 20 minutes, you will come into work, um, and you get called downstairs to like a classroom setting, and for about an hour— you got these two or uh, two or more individuals that are getting paid ten thousand dollars a day by Amazon to tell you to vote no or to go against the union for every single day. They did that for months. So that That's a lot of productivity loss. Exactly. So they <laughs> lost a lot of money. The floor for an hour. And we're talking about forty to fifty people at a time, you know. So yeah, they cost we cost the money that way. Um is that illegal for the company to tell? It wasn't until, uh, as of recent, the new general counsel of the NLRB, um, they're now starting to deem those as illegal. So I don't know where they're at with that, but I believe they are to be deemed illegal, um, if not already. Um, so, yes, they should be deemed illegal, but we had to deal with that. We still were able to overcome that. Um, and companies do that all the time. They've been doing this for decades as well. You know, these this is how they stop unions from forming. They drill propaganda into the workers' heads. Um, so we had to battle that. As soon as uh, workers walked in the building, um, plastered all over the walls, break rooms, break areas, workshop, um, bathroom stalls, anti-union propaganda, vote no, um, so that was everywhere. It's like Squid Games walking in the building. And um <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's and, crazy. And uh they, you know, they used the NYPD. I was arrested for giving out food. They arrested two other members, uh, organizers as well with me that were giving out food. Um, not just once, but several times, twice. And uh they called the police on us several times. Um, you know, they build up a, a barbed wire fence, they build up a scaffold over there. I think it's the only building in probably history, American history, that has these two things. And, um, yeah, they just continue to spread lies, lies upon lies. Every day, every week there was a different a different lie we had to battle. Like, oh, Chris Chris just wants your money, your union dues to buy a Lamborghini. Uh, he just wants to become rich. Oh, he has a vendetta against the company. 
you know, they tried to spread that type of. But your character, your image is critical to being able to get this off the ground. Right. And the the workers who you want to join the union have to see you as one of them, have to see you as a leader, have to see you as clean and represent whatever that means and like representing their best interest. Right. And so that you do have to live up to all those sort of things. Yeah. And 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 that's what I had to prove. Amazon was trying to demonize me, um, but I had to. And I had to battle that. There was workers that were cursing me out, didn't even know me, but they would just hear something. Oh, you the one that's taking all our money. I'm like, I haven't touched nothing. What are you talking about? So it's like I had to battle that. Um, but I, I I wrote a letter to the workers. Um, I stayed out there every day building up relationships, earning trust. And I showed the workers that I'm not getting nothing. I've been out of a job for two years. I have been two or more years now, but... um. Um, I didn't get anything. I didn't get any money. I'm unemployed. I'm doing this because I believe in what we're doing. There's no other reason. And I think that over time, um, me coming out there every day and and earning that trust was ultimately what helped, you know, led us to victory. Is that, you know, whatever Amazon's saying about him is not true. This man is out here. He has two kids. He could be home. He could be doing anything else in the world. I, I already took my legal action against them. I could have just did that, but I chose to go out out there and and do what we're doing, you know, organizing and talking to workers. How old are your kids? They're nine. Twins? Yeah. Wow. What are your core demands as a nascent union leader? What do you want from Amazon? Well, as... um. The, the way our union is structured, everything is democratic. So it's what the workers want. I have to listen. So to. you will put a vote, let the workers vote on what the initiatives they want. Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we have demands and they vote on them. We have a committee that votes on these type of demands. And as of now, um, you know, it's it's really basic stuff that we want, but it's, it's very strong demands. You know, job security, $30 an hour. 30 Thirty dollars an hour from fifteen to eighteen. You said, yeah, is the average. Yeah, yeah. You want thirty dollars an hour. Thirty dollars an hour. Um, longer breaks, uh, better medical leave options. We want a pension. We want our VCP back, which is our monthly bonuses for productivity. Um, we want to become shareholders again. They took that away in two thousand eighteen, um, and we want a better quality of life. You know, um, Amazon can absolutely afford it, all of these things. So um, I don't think what we're demanding is is too much to ask for at all. You know, it's very simple and basic to for this company to do. If they took $1 million of their union-busting money and gave it to their, their workers, they'd be able to pay everybody $30 an hour and still make as much money as they want. But they'd rather, you know, do what they're doing. I mean, I understand why the leadership would rather not be a union and leaders will quite often give certain things that the union wants. Yeah. Just don't unionize. We'll give you a raise. Just as long as you don't union, because they don't want y'all to have that level of power. They, they, they're, they're starting to do that as well. You know, they, they threatened to take our cell phones away indefinitely um, because that's what it was before the pandemic. You know, we used to have to put our phones in lockers you know, there was no cell phone, wasn't no communication. 
So when you hit the floor to do your 10 to 12 hour shift, your cell phone has to be locked away. Locked away. So your family can't call you, be like, yo, there's an emergency with your kid. We need you. Da, 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 da. I didn't find out about it till the end of my shift. No. Yeah. And that happens, you know, and it's sad because there's certain things, certain people that had to go through finding out terrible news until, you know, later in the afternoon, evening, or not at all. And um, it's now the union came in play. We were advocating for that, keep our cell phones, hands off our cell phones. And now all of a sudden the company's like, oh, guess what? Keep your cell phones because, you know, we won the election. But had we lost the election, no, it would have took our phones. But it's still, even if you achieve all those demands, it's still a rough life for folks who are working in the warehouses. I mean, the culture that we're advocating for and fighting for, it, it will make work less strenuous. You know, um, we understand that's why we're asking for, you know, longer breaks. You know, we deserve at least an hour lunch. You know, we're sure. working 10 hours. Um, I think it will make the going to work less you know, stressful. You know, when you go to work every day not knowing that today could be your last day, that's just stress right there. Every day Absolutely. I got up and I'm like, damn, today could be my last day just for me being a minute late. But if you have all of that off you, you off your chest, you know that you have a union that's going to represent you no matter what happens, um, that's going to allow people to do their job better, allow people to feel good about their job and I think people got it misconstrued when they say, oh, if you pay people more and they're lazy people, that's going to get paid more. I'm like, if you pay people more, I think they want to keep their job. Exactly. If I get paid 30 hours an hour, I'm working my ass off. Sure. Why would I mess that up? So it's just it's just the things that's been embedded in our society that make us believe that we can't get more. We don't deserve more. Sure. No, people always want to say, the company can't, whatever company it is, can't afford to pay the lowest level workers more, would never say, but why does the CEO deserve $40 million this year when he or she got $40 million a year before? Like, maybe they should earn a little bit less so the 10,000 people who are serving you French fries or picking your Amazon product or whatever it is can get a little bit more. Like, right. they're not lazy. They work very hard. Right, and it, and this, and we ain't even talking millions. We're talking billions. Like right. this is money that won't be spent in ten thousand lifetimes. He's One the person. second richest person in the world. Yeah. He can't come up off a little bit so that basic workers can subsist. Yeah, he could, he could, but it's a choice, and that's, and that's not. We can't wait for that, you know. It's not going to be. He's not going to wake up one day and be like, "All right, I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna change." That's not, and I don't think any billionaire, you no, know, becoming a billionaire, you know, we we praise that in this country. We praise being rich. We praise being wealthy. We praise being billionaires and millionaires. But like, in order to get there, you had to do something terrible to other people, and that's what people misunderstand is, oh. He started his company in, in his garage. Like, no, no, that's not the whole story. And yeah, but he got, what, $300,000 from, from his, his family? family? What does eating healthy mean to you? 
Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, right. Just hand it to him. Right. Had friends who were like, here's a couple other hundred. Th-. He was sitting on money because he came, he came from Wall Street, right? So he's sitting on a stack. So, I mean, like, you know. I know. It, yeah. Ain't no, like, humbles. There's no human <laughs> humble story to this. He was already upper class person who started a new business. And, like. Salute, you took a risk, but that don't mean that you can shit on other people. Right. Now that you're up there. Right, right, right. What would you say to Jeff Bezos if he walked in here now? What do you want to say to him? Oh, man. There's so much. It's, uh, you know, I go back to just the two years, just the fact that, you know, you stood in the room and signed off on the smear campaign. You know, that right there is disgusting, you know, and I would just tell him straight up, you know, we're, we're gonna get our fair share, whether you want, you know, you like it or not. You know, I'm a, I'm not giving up, and um, you know, I represent a lot of workers, a small city right now, and um, not just here in Staten Island. We're talking nationwide. You know, you got to do right by your workers, and that's just the bottom line. If you don't do right by your workers, you know, we're going to, you know, continue to organize and um. You know, whatever happens from that happens because I think we're at a time now where, you know, workers are realizing their values a lot more than what it was. So, um, you know, once again, I just don't feel like he'll be able to have a conversation like that. I feel like he's such um, what you call it, a sociopath or um, <laughs> he's so disconnected from, you know, being poor. He don't understand. I don't even think he understands the word no. You know, tell a billionaire no, they probably – you know, lose their shit. So it's like, um, I'm going to tell them no. I'm going to tell them you're not going to continue uh, what's been going on. You know, we're going to continue to organize and we're going to get our fair share. And his life wouldn't even materially change for you guys to get to $30 an hour and for, let's say, the productivity to slow down a little bit so that you're at a humane level. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. 
but it's not it's just greed after a while and that's and that's how I feel about it personally that's I just feel like you know there's a point in time in your life when you can consciously understand what you're doing and I think he he can and people have told him he's he's been um been told and talked to plenty of times I'm I've heard things through the grapevine people that's been around this man and um he's aware of what he's doing and um it's at a point in time where it's just greed now. You know, you're buying half a million, half a billion dollar yachts. You're going to space. Disgusting. Disgusting. You're flying is, to space. Is, and is there any thought about getting his ex-wife to come in to make him look bad? Because she could publicly speak to him in a way that would have a certain weight. No, I thought about it. Everybody said that you should reach out. But it's like, you know... Um, you know, she does her philanthropy, whatever that is, you know, donate. I think she donated so much of her money, but I don't, I honestly, um, still, I still feel like, you know, she's been, she's, she has a somewhat of, um, I don't know how you, how to put this in words, but she, I don't think she would do something with us. You know, I know that it, it would be the right thing to do. I mean, she's, uh, supposed to be a teacher or something married to a teacher. Um, it, it would be the right thing to do to support unionizing, but of course that her, you know, that man being her ex husband, um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that they have some type of communication where he won't, she won't cross that line. But it would be nice. It would be um, powerful if she did do that, and um, you know, at least help advocate for workers on that end. But we had we had uh, other members, other vice presidents step down in our solidarity. Um, Tim Bray, who's been public, he worked right underneath Bezos, and you know I can call him right now. Um, there's other people that's been in corporate in Seattle that's been doing things, and um, I have a relationship with them as well. There's been management um, that's been fired or left the company. I get the I get the emails, I get the DMs all the time from people that leave Amazon and they tell me a whole bunch of, you know, dark things that they experience. And um, you know, that's that's also a part of my role is to share that publicly. It's like when somebody from management leaves the company or corporate leaves the company and they reach out to me, I ask them, I say, Are you willing to talk to uh, media? I can put you right in touch right now and and so you've been seeing stories come out in the last two years that you'd have never heard about. So, so are you talking about a sort of inhumanity or corruption that goes up into the corporate suites? Oh yeah. Or are you talking about their knowledge of the inhumanity at the warehouse level and they're ignoring it? it it's it's been both. You know, the corporate um, corporate might be even more toxic. In the what warehouse, do you mean? As far as the treatment and um, uh, not having enough black and brown representation, the, the higher the food chain, it gets it's like a seventy to thirty percent, you know. Um, and uh, when it goes when it goes up to corporate, forget about it. I think for the first time ever, they just put a black woman on the S team like two years ago, and they you know everybody want to clap their hands for that. I'm like, what? She's surrounded by like. 10 other white men that are not going to give her a voice. They're going to say, yeah, she's here, 
But I can tell you she has no voice. And it's like we're supposed to accept that. And the same thing when it comes to management in the warehouse. Um, I never got promoted up because they didn't see me as being on the same level as management because I'm black. And on top of that, I'm vocal about certain things. So, of course, not having me on that level. Um, and I've seen how they treat the black and brown managers. They put them all on night shift. You don't see them. Mm. You know, um, it was always, you know, a huge um, difference. You know, the the day shift, all white management. And I just seen the culture of Amazon um, as a whole it's not enough diversity as much as they claim to be. The black and brown workers make up the majority of the warehouse workers. Wow. But as far as management and majority, forget about it. Peter, Amazon would not be the gigantic, powerful company it is if the consumers had not made it a staple in their lives. And most people buy from Amazon all the time. Their prices are lower, super convenient. You know, you know the story. Do you blame consumers or would you like to say to consumers you should be not using Amazon or not using it as much? Yeah, no, I, you know, I can, I would never blame the customer. You know, um, this is the society we're in. You know, we, we're in a society where, you know, everything's on the internet. You know, one-click buy is with every industry really now. Now you can order from anywhere, not just Amazon. Um, but the problem is um, we're not paying attention to our neighbors, you know, because it's your neighbors that work at Amazon. It's not, you know, the people that work at these warehouses, they live in our communities. And, you know, people see the trucks coming through, come and go. You know, these people live there. They, they're from there, are from that area. And we're being mis treated. We're not seeing, as consumer, we're not seeing how the product ends up there. We're not seeing how this one thing that you ordered affected, you know, eight to 13 different people um, in multiple different locations because it's not coming from just one warehouse. It goes to two other warehouses. It goes to a truck. It gets broken down. You know, we're talking 10 people possibly touching one thing. And, um, you know, as a consumer, you should want to support a company that take care of the workers that live in your community. And that's just the message that I keep for the consumer. It's nothing, you know, a lot of them ask me, how can we support your efforts? And I could tell them, yeah, cancel your prime. Don't shop at Amazon. But and that's what you want. You want us to, you want people listening, reconsider shopping with Amazon altogether. I want people listening to think about it. I'm not telling them to do it. I can't, illegally, I can't say uh, the word. I can't call a boycott or anything like that. Um, but I do want people to be aware of what they're supporting. And if they choose to stand in solidarity with the workers, that's a small thing. Canceling your problems is actually saving you money, number one. People don't really use it like that. They use it when they want to or whatever. But if you have those that use it every day, I know people that do that. And to be honest with you, it's like 10 years ago, we weren't doing this. Just 10, just 10 years ago, if you just subtract 10 years from now and go back to walking around the corner and going to the store, what's the problem? 
the pandemic is sort of over, and now you're able to do so. I mean, the other day I was in Target. There was a very long line, and I wanted one thing. And I'm like, my daughter's pulling at my, come on, let's go. I'm like, all right, well, I, could, I could go on Amazon. I'll have it tomorrow. <laughs> I don't have to wait in this line. I get it. But if I had said, nah, let's stay in this line because I talked to Christian, I got a different mindset. But there's a different worker who went through the same shit for that to be available for me when I go to Target or Walmart or what, right? Like any of these massive companies. Right. That's why they need to unionize well. And um, I worked at them. I worked at the competitors as well. I I hated retail, especially in-store, because you're dealing with a customer face-to-face. Amazon, it was a little bit different. You know, you don't got to deal with the customer. You pack and you know, pick the items and that's it. You don't got to worry about nothing else. You got to worry about the warehouse conditions. Um, so it's like pick your poison at that. And that's what we're telling, you know, the working class. It's not, don't quit your job, you know, organize it. And, um, you know, once again, it's not about shopping. You know, the customer is going to, they need their goods, they need their items. I understand that. Um, business has to operate. We're just saying that, we want to be treated better. Sure. You know, and we think that um, if, if consumers knew how we're being mistreated, that they'll be conscious about how they want to support the company. And um, when it comes to shopping on Prime or whatever, uh, listening to Amazon Music, that's just a small fraction of their income. We're, we're not even putting a dent. They get more of their income from AWS anyway. The contracts that they have, the uh, Amazon wireless service. The web service. Where the, so, right. So so yeah. you're saying purchasing products is a small part? Small. Yeah, it doesn't the, really. The web service is the real thing. Absolutely. They, that's where it generates most of their revenue because the Amazon web services, they got contracts with the government. They got contracts with, you know, police. They, got con- they control like 90% of the internet. So that's their and that's their real uh, uh, line of revenue and um, the warehouse and the items that we buy that's a small small fraction but it can be impactful because they care about their image. Amazon cares about customer obsession, which is the words they use. They're obsessed with customers, and it's like we all got to be customers, and if we're all customers and we're uh, you know we're unhappy. Now we're talking something where they can change. And I think it was on the Super Bowl where I saw one of these gauzy Amazon ads. They promoted me so fast. They're so nice to work for. I'm female. I'm trans. I'm gay. They're so open. I'm black. It's so nice to work in them. Are you like looking at this like throwing up? Like this is complete. All the time. Propaganda bullshit. All the time. Yeah. And and it's it's so cringe because if we just go back short, a short two years, they weren't doing none any of that. No. No, this Especially, is Especially um before they fired me. You know, forget about it. you wanna see no commercials like that. You would see just normal, you know, their normal propaganda. But now it's every I think even there was a stretch of like months upon months throughout the pandemic where every commercial had a person of color. They wanted to make sure 
they had a person of color, of a woman of color, you know, somebody disabled, somebody dyslexic, you know, something because they want to make sure that we got that message. And it's crazy how it takes a black man being fired and being called a racist remark for them to, all right, let's just, uh, let's just put that out there. And that's how they have these meetings. So we've talked about warehouse workers are the delivery folks part of your plan? Are they also mistreated? It's oh yeah. What what is the what is the situation for them? See, so Amazon, unfortunately, the, the delivery drivers are independent contractors, so we can't. Um, so even though a truck that says Amazon pulls up outside my house to give me the package, that person doesn't really work for Amazon. No, not all of them. Some of them do, some of them don't. Um, some of the drivers are independent contractors, which means if they organize or collective bargain, they can, you know, they can ice their um, contract. And so we have to tread lightly with the drivers. We don't try to put anybody's job in jeopardy. Um, my plan, though, uh, is to once we get a contract, um, is to bring them in somehow negotiate with the company since we have a relationship now to do so is to tell them, Hey, look, we got drivers here that want to be a part of the union. We want to bring them in and hopefully they'll understand that they just want the benefits too. You know, it's not like they, they want to, you know, do anything drastic or try to shut down the line or anything like that. We just want everybody to have the representation and the benefits that uh but you may have to have some disruptive action at some point to go from we got one shop unionized to to we get right because you're fighting against a massive power oh yeah right and like when you have everybody or even 50 percent of the country unionized you, you know then you'll have a sufficient power to be able to speak to them but going from one to fifty percent, they're gonna fight you, right? Oh well, yeah, they they fighting every day, and you know the good thing is, uh, you know, we got a eighty three hundred people. That's a that's one of the biggest unions in the country, and you know, just one of them. And it's not even a lot of people. It's a small city, but um, compared to being an independent union, to have to start off with that amount of people, thousands of people in the New York area. But you're one. It's one warehouse. It's a major warehouse. You know. No, I get that. But how many warehouses are there in the country? It's over a hundred. Over a hundred. I, I want to say uh, over one fifteen, something like that. I mean, you do you have in your mind like a goal to where like yo, when we have fifty warehouses, like we oh, can yeah. really stand strong in this situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because one is not enough power. Really. Oh yeah, no one. The one that we we got, uh, it, it made its history. You know, it made history for forever. You know, um, yeah. but we know that's just it's just just the beginning. You know, so we once again, once we get the resources that we need um, to start other campaigns, and I can be heavily involved in guiding that. Um, you know, the other warehouses will come in due time. You know, there's no, it's not a rush. It's really a marathon. This is going to be years upon years. Um, hopefully not that long, not decades, but uh, it's going to take a few years for that 
that snowball effect to happen. And uh, we're prepared for that. You know, we we understand that, um, you know, what we did was monumental. Mm-hmm. And um, just like you're starting to see the Starbucks stores, you know, Starbucks stores, I think, I don't know how many thousands of stores they have, but they're only at 170. And it, it's a lot, a lot of stores. 100, 170 unionized yeah. Starbucks. So far, and it's, but there's still like, uh, I don't know if it's 1,400 or 14,000 stores. So like they still have a long way to go. Fourteen thousand, right? So <laughs> think, think about it. I think there's ten thousand in New York City. Exactly. So right now we're in the beginning of this revolution. Are you part of the Starbucks unionization movement? We're all in the same boat. No, we don't. We're not in the same union. Um, but you know, we stand on the same picket lines. We're at the same conventions. I know a lot of their leaders. Uh, I talk to all of their presidents and. Um, yeah, I support them, whatever. You, you foresee some sort of walkout or something to where, like, Amazon service is significantly disrupted, like, until we get, like, we had all of San Jose walk out or whatever, Chicago, whatever it is, to where they're like, y'all did not get your packages. On yeah. Wednesday, which you were expecting, because we change, and now they're like, shit, these guys yeah. got to look. Like, like, something like that's got to happen at some point. Hey, you know, uh, it, it's a possibility. You know, we're we're building up that militancy. Um, you know, we still have to educate people on, on even what a strike is. You know, they're like, oh, do I get paid by this company? Or do they replace me? So it's a lot of gray area. When it comes to that, because to do something of that magnitude, it's going to take a lot of resources. We don't know how long they'll hold out for. Um, but we're in a good position right now. You know, Amazon, They, I think an article just came out two days ago about, you know, they, they don't even have enough people to hire anymore because they done hired and fired so many people that they're running through the workforce. And um, now we're in a position where, all right, your job has to be retainable. You need to talk to the union because that's the only way you're going to retain your job. At at will companies don't care about retaining their job or retention, so um, we're in, we're getting to that point. It's a long game for them, but it's also a strategy for us as well to really figure out when to strike and when to do it. And right now we're still in that building up moment. And I think you're right. You know, one day there will be a, a nationwide action that'll be so big that now. Not just Amazon coming to the table, Walmart, Target, Whole Foods, FedEx, you know, whoever else is ununionized that want to come to the table, they're going to have to because now their their business as usual is no longer. I mean, that is a game changer to when you could get multiple, multiple sites to stop working so much that business is disrupted, right? Because when capitalism stops, then it says, oh my God, what can we do to get back on track as rapidly as possible? Right. Right. Right? Until then, we're just talking, how how long can we hold them off? They all had like three sites or whatever, walk off the job. Like we we can't just rehire three warehouses full of people or five warehouses full of people. Like, and this week is already screwed. We got to return all this right. month. Like, right, right. ah, like it's, at the the breaking point where it's easier to give in than to fight against them. Right, that's what we have to get to. Yep, 
yeah, no, we're, and trust me, I'm working on it. And, um, you know, just going to, you know, just imagine, um, as you mentioned, all of the warehouses under one umbrella, um, I can make that, that happen. And we're talking over a million workers because Amazon hired, I think they're up to over a million workers now nationwide. So a million workers not working for the company, um, that definitely will bring anybody to the table in one day, I believe. You know, I believe the billionaires, they understand that they ain't making no money. Um, you know, they're coming to the table. Man, if you That's had the one a thing million workers unionized, you could really get justice. Absolutely. Yeah, that's just like um, the Teamsters that have 1.5 million members, the teachers union that have, you know, 1.5 million members or more. You know, the big established unions, they have that already. We're trying to get there, you know. It's crazy how the word union has become demonized in my lifetime, in our lifetime. You know, it used to be something that was really valuable for working class people. And now most unions, a lot of people just associate union with corruption, right, rather than we are helping the working class worker have power against the leadership. It's, yeah. There's nothing inherently corrupt about a union. We're just trying to level the playing field against power. Right. Yeah. I'm, it's been a bad stigma, you know, ever since like, you know, the mob days and, you know, everybody bring up, you know, Hoffa. So it's like, that's also something we had to, Debunk, like, oh, you guys are with them. But like, this is this is a right wing campaign that's been going on for decades to make people think union is a bad thing. Yeah, to aid business. Yeah, and that the only way, the only reason why we were able to be successful is because we stayed away from politics. We didn't we didn't say because you're on the right, you're not in it. We didn't say because you're on the left, you're not in. It. We said there's issues in the warehouse that we're all being affected by. And we can build off of that commonality. And that's how this union was formed. And that eliminates, you know, what they heard about unions in the past, what they heard about unions now, because we're creating something for ourselves. And the workers at this particular warehouse was sold off of that, you know, that we're able to navigate how the Amazon labor union will move forward for its future so that we don't end up in a corrupt system or a corrupt establishment. It starts with me. You know, I can't be corrupt myself. I can't be the one, you know, taking money and um, taking union dues and mishandling that. So I have to make sure that everything that's being implemented now, especially now in, in our constitution and our bylaws, um, because they're being created now, that it's going to be done the right way, so um, that's what we're we're at right now. We're we're creating that. Are there some parts of this constitution that you can talk about? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. The like what? Tell me about it. So the constitution is something that um, that the union itself, as an entity, that we have to abide by. Every union officer, every union rep. Um, it's just like the national con constitution. Um, we have to. Here's your set of rules. Here's your bylaws. Everybody gets a copy of it. Um, and you have to abide by these rules. You can't, you know, do certain things that can get you removed. 
you know, I'm registered with the Department of Labor. So we all our finances coming in and out um, has to be accounted for. And it's just showing the members that you, this is how this particular union is going to operate, like the, the set of rules. And, um, you know, that's just transparency, showing transparency with the members, showing them how to be involved, um, um, letting them know when to have the meetings and, um, you know, just it's something black and white, something that they can refer to, just like an employee handbook. This is our employee handbook. Are there leaders from the past who you look up to and consider like, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I look at his example or her example and want to try to live up to what they did for people and try to just, just sort of like spiritual North Star for you as a, as a growing union leader? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, of course, I, I definitely look up to all the greats that have done it before me. And um, I've been fortunate enough to have been around um, some historical people like, uh, you know, Reverend Jesse Jackson, who walked with Martin Luther King and um, uh, Dolores Weta, who's farm workers. You know, I've been with her a few times. Um, you know, I definitely read uh, read up on, of course, the biography of Malcolm X and um, uh, who else? Uh, Fidel Castro, even, you know, his book, um, certain passages and things he said and how he moved uh, with the people um, that inspired me. And then, um, of course, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an activist. I've been with Black Lives Matter, um, been out in the streets. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a part of any movement right now, you know, whether it's social injustice, environmental, uh, women's rights, abortion rights. Um, people call me, I, I show up for them and, um, I'm learning as I go. Um, but you know, I always pay homage and listen to those who came before me. Um, especially those that are still fortunate enough to be alive because a lot of them Aren't, aren't anymore. So and I think in America, the vibe is try to get rich. And someone like you who is dedicating so much of your life to try to improve conditions for the working class worker and not how can I get rich, but like how can I help the masses just have a better work life? Um, it's a very noble thing to do. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's a very um, large responsibility. Um, definitely a lot on my shoulders. And, you know, um, it's not for everybody either. You know, I learned in my short two years, two and a half of doing this that, um, you know, a lot of people expect a lot from you. And... When you're not able to deliver, you know, they write you off, they uh, they turn on you, they stab you in the back, whatever. They talk about you. You can't allow that type of negativity to stop whatever your mission is. And for me, um, my mission changed as I progressed in my um, journey. I realized, all right, you know, first I was advocating for the pandemic. Then I realized that... Um, now I'm advocating for uh, workers in other industries as well. And then 
um, to come back and form a union and now become the interim president, um, I realized that the bigger picture is this is the the labor movement resurgence. You know, this mm-hmm. is the resurgence of the labor movement. Mm-hmm. And for me to walk away now would be selfish. If I was to be like, you know what, F this. I'm, I'm going home with my kids. I'm chilling. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. People would, I would be going down to history as the biggest sellout. You know, they will... They would drag me. Well, right you need now. a check to be a sellout. <laughs> well, it don't even matter. They think I have a check, and that's the that's just the thing. It's just about narrative as well. But the other thing is like, so you one down, hundred and fourteen to go. Is it inevitable that you will get there, or is the game just starting? And like, we don't yet know who's gonna win. Right, we don't know. I mean, and I'm not saying that I'm hoping that we don't win. But, um, you know, we got to be realistic. You know, we're going up against a trillion-dollar company. You know, I have I have a worker salary right now. <laughs> That's in my union budget. You know, we we did get donations after we won. But um, the money is not about – it's not even about the money. It's about the power that this company has over the government, over the laws in this country that are very weak. And – over the working class, you know, this company has a lot of propaganda um, power over America. And now we're starting to chip away at it. And slowly but surely, we're getting there, but um, we're, we're in the beginning phase. And I can't predict, you know, what's going to happen in the future. I can just take it, like I say all the time, taking everything day by day. You know, that's how I keep my sanity. That's how... I keep my organizers sane because, you know, for us to to say we're going to unionize the whole country, um, it sounds good, but um, to do it is going to take a lot of sacrifice, not just, you know, the one building, as you mentioned. Um, We're going to have to really dedicate ourselves for the long haul. We're talking, you know, 10 to 20 years of of really being out there. Who's going to be number two? What's the number two building that's going to come online? Um... I have buildings right now. I don't want to give. I can't really say too much about. But I got buildings that are that are pretty much ready. You know, they they're waiting on you know my green light, and um, I got you know a lot of friends that still work at Amazon that are ready in different locations. I opened up three buildings myself. Staten Island wasn't my only one. You know, I opened up two other ones: one in New Jersey and one in Connecticut. Um, very big buildings. So, because there's um, a tipping point when you get to, I don't know what. 25 or 30, then uh, it'll be easier to pull in other ones. Oh, yeah. Right? Like at one, you have like a certain amount of power. At five, it'll be like, shit. Like at 15 or 20, it'd be like, it'll be just easier to get other people. Right? They won't be as afraid. They'll be better educated. They'll see the potential benefits. Right. I mean, right now, even with this, this one was so monumental that, you know, the president, um, the White House, they, the the general counsel, they are now starting to understand that this is something that's not going to stop regardless. So they need to do the right thing. And we're going to hold them accountable as well. Like the laws that are implemented now do not protect workers enough. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to the NLRB process, the National Labor Relations Board process, which 
you use to unionize, um, it's underfunded, understaffed, and um, there's so much, we're so far away from where we need to be when it comes to labor in this country. Other countries, they got the laws and protections that we want. We have to get this country there, and it, it comes from us organizing. If we stop organizing, if we don't do nothing, things remain the same. Capitalism runs the way it's been running. But if we organize, we continue to organize, we continue to hold elected officials accountable, we continue to amplify our voices and our experiences, now we're starting to turn you know, the tide a little bit. And hopefully we'll get to that point where um, whoever's in office, which right now is Biden, who claims to be the most pro-union president ever, if he's claiming that... You know, next time I go to that White House, I want to make sure that uh, I can say, well, yeah, you did this for us. I don't want to say, oh, well, I need you to do this for me. And and the conversation I had was very straightforward is I need you to, you know, write a letter of support. I need you to pass the PRO Act because the PRO Act is a bill that'll help workers in the working class. And if you can't do that, is your executive order pen broken? Like, you should have been did that. So, you know, we're past that, oh, we're going to just accept uh, whatever happens. Like, we're we're going to organize regardless. And, you know, it's up to the governments, up to the companies, uh, the bosses to come to the table. Thank you so much to Christian for a great interview. And thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality. Maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Ford. Our editors, Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.